welcome to episode 133 of Link to the Cast. On the show this week, Mark is finally in the Matrix this week, whereas Dave takes to the battlefield. Uh, Microsoft plans for Xbox Live and Nintendo Switch. Ubisoft are sorry for offensive Division 2 marketing. And in the book club this week, they're finally here performing for you. It's the member of your weekly podcast crew. It's Donkey Kong 64. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere. Good podcasts are sold. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. My party host, Dave Ryan, joined by uh, a, a punchy yet resilient Mark Robinson. <laughs> Mark, how are you? Oh, I appreciate your words of enthusiasm. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm good. I'm exhausted. And uh, what doesn't help is that my hair now is uh, long enough where it doesn't matter what I do with it, it looks a mess consistently. Um, so it just it exuberates, exacerbates. What's the word I'm looking for? A word. I, oh, well. I don't know, but I'm keen to uh, get you to keep trying words. It's been a while since we got this version of Mark on the program. Dave, uh, Dave you're running this shit for the next two hours. I just yeah, can't, yeah. I can't do this. We used to have punchy Mark Robinson occasionally on the program when you lived here and we'd be recorded in the middle of the night. Yeah, I, st- where... I still don't know if I've recovered fully as well from... Uh, you wouldn't think a, a two-hour bus journey would take it out of you, but doing a two-hour bus journey both ways, and for some reason that journey from Dublin to Belfast just seems a lot longer than it actually is. I think it's just because it's just fucking wasteland between Dublin and Belfast yeah. and there's nothing to look at. Well, yeah, so we maintained our streak, speaking of kind of like real world stuff, uh, we maintained our streak of uh, actually hanging out in person that has been going on kind of every other weekend for the last little while. Uh, when we both made uh, separate trips up to Belfast for the grapples, uh, on which you can hear an excellent road report of the grapple up uh, now in, in your podcast feed for Link to the Cast with myself, Lee and Johnny in the car getting literally lost on the way back home as we recorded the podcast. Do you know, I think we've like recorded about 60% of all the grapple ups we did last year already this year. Yeah, yeah, we only did. We only. I actually think we might be at a hundred percent because I think we only did three last year. Oh boy, bringing that content to you. Yeah, damn straight. Um, but how how was your Belfast experience? Now, bearing in mind you were kind of you arrived about forty-five minutes before we went to the show and left right when the show ended. Yeah, it's fair to say so it wasn't like you did some tourism. It's it's fair to say that my trip last year to Belfast was slightly more memorable in terms of actually seeing Belfast. Um, yeah. But the show itself was probably one of the weaker shows uh, mm. I've been to. Uh, yeah. Even the last couple of contenders have had some real uh, belters with either you know Devlin being a consistent um, in terms of the the quality of his output, and even um, Modern Hype. Who, when I first saw them, I wasn't really on board, but they just are getting better and better and better, and and the six mans that they're having just. Uh, consistently a, a fun time so um, but their match and uh, Devlin's match with Strickland which while was a very good match uh, just the, the overall show when I came out of it and I had to rush a little bit before, before the end of the main event mm. was um, it was just it, I didn't feel that my journey up was really um, worth it or necessary so you know mm. I'm hoping the journey to Tala in a couple of weeks time is yeah. more worth my time 
they're kind of battling with it. I, I will say one of the things that doesn't help those shows is I think the crowd is completely different and not nearly as good. Um, uh, possibly, possibly. And you know, sometimes like the the setting and the crowd will sometimes affect your enjoyment of a show. Just to ask a lot of people who uh, watched uh, iPay reviews of Evolve when they se- it sounded like they took place in a crypt. Though I, I do like the venue. I think the setup's really yeah. nice. Um, although they're really close to the ceiling. Good lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think the consensus on the the Strickland Devlin match was that it was really good, but it didn't really have a patch on the first one. No, and in fairness, considering. Um... Like you know, Strickland is is pretty much. Is it confirmed he's Florida bound now? Uh, Florida, or possibly I, I don't know what the 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 fun reference to AEW is, but it's one or the other. Okay, so he's he's bound it, somewhere, so I can yeah. see him. You know, not exactly needing to go all out. Although, in fairness, the finish of that match was dear God, fucking. <laughs> A flip reverse tombstone, sure. All right. Yeah, then. A, t- a tombstone destroyer. Uh, check it out in my. I, I actually quote tweeted it the other day. So at the day to Dave on Twitter, scroll back and yeah, we thought you'd fucking died. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed my trip up. Uh, now probably because I was in the more comfortable surrounds of a car on the way up and back. Funny I, that. That that didn't kind of like that made it feel more like the show was worth it. Uh, because it wasn't as arduous. Now my trip back was a bit more fucking arduous. Oh yeah, what happened to you? Well, it was fucking piss and rain on the way back. So, you know, there's this, the bus I get home from Dublin, if I'm getting the bus, if it's too late for a train, is the bus that goes from the airport through the what's called the Red Cow up in Dublin, which is uh, a tram stop beside this hotel where it's kind of like a nexus of a bunch of different buses and the, the light rail. Um, so I get, I, I'd usually get it from the Red Cow, but because it was piss and rain so much and it was so cold... Uh, I asked Lee to drop me off at the airport so that I have somewhere warm to wait if the bus didn't arrive. And lo and behold, fucking Nostradamus over here, the bus didn't arrive. <laughs> so here it, here um, I was sitting in the departures terminal of Dublin Airport with no intention of actually getting on a plane, eating a McDonald's at like half ten at night to stay warm. You definitely had more chance of getting a plane than you did getting a bus, uh, yeah. such is the way with Irish public transport. Yeah, so I got home and my intention was to just go straight into the sitting room and watch the Super Bowl. But because of the delay, I was just like, I just went upstairs. I think I played like a game of FIFA and then went to bed. Um, but the trip overall was good. It was a good laugh. Uh, the podcast was a lot of fun uh, to record on the way back. And um, yeah, cranking those grap ups out, man. I know, right? Uh, what was the, it? the fact that I've got a mobile recorder now that I'm I'm ne- I, I I've nearly figured out how to use it properly. You're just uh, a mobile content machine now. That's what you are. Yeah, that's it. I just need to. I, the one thing I need to do is I had moved it further away from myself than when we did the wrap up in my sitting room. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still because I speak louder, particularly like I speak louder than you. I don't speak louder than Brony, but I do speak louder than Lee and Johnny. So to turn up the volume levels so I can hear both of them and because it's on the one audio stream because it's one recorder my levels were so high that I was spiking <laughs> so I need to like next time I record you got to rein it in that's what you need to do Dave. I know yeah this bombastic personality of mine um, I, next time I just need to put it closer to the guests than me if they're people who aren't brony and sure. then speak quieter than me um, but that's just like I, you know, that's trial and error. I'll have it figured out by the time we do the the, the sixteen carrot road report next month that I intend on doing. 
Um, well, I'll have the kinks ironed out. It's anyway, also, it's been a, a long time since someone has asked me if I genuinely can name the main event of every WWE pay per view from like '98 onwards, and it's been so long since someone has asked me that that I forgot that. Well, I probably can't do that anymore. Um, but it always reminds me of the time when I would just... Uh, I had a road trip once, and I remember a friend of the show, uh, Zig, was in the car, and I was just throwing, like, different pay-per-views at him, trying to get him to answer the main event, and he just... He ended up crawling out of the car at whatever service station we got at, just begging me to stop. And I don't think he's forgiven me ever since. <laughs> he's not got back into the car with you. No, no. <laughs> oh, what a man. Yeah, I told the lads about that... that weird superpower of yours and the pair of them were just like both impressed and incensed i think i it you come to the conclusion that i had a sheltered childhood yeah indeed well that's not accurate but that's no. why we're here recording a podcast about video games here we are not like talking to people or anything <laughs> speaking about video games should we talk about some yeah i got it playing this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Mark, this has been on the schedule since last week. We didn't get to it. Um, please, please this week indulge us with your VR experience that you had when you came over here for the Royal Rumble. Yeah, so uh, you sat me down and was like, here, here is PlayStation VR, uh, which is something that I have not, as far as I remember, I have played VR before. We have um, a VR kit in the office uh, and I've a couple of different trade shows have played VR over the years but um, it was the first time with PlayStation VR first things first uh, the actual uh, headgear itself is uh, is pretty comfortable it's um, you know there's a lot of padding in it there is a lot of padding in it it definitely still even with the the comfort that you get even after about you know, half an hour, I, I, I was still at the point where even though I was enjoying the two games I'm playing, I'm like, you know what, I'm done with this now. Just fucking mm. get this off my head. Um, but the actual hardware itself, uh, I think, is uh, very well designed. It, it feels secure. It feels comfortable for the time that you can feel comfortable playing uh, VR. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we played, or I played Tetris Effect, which... I picked up on your hearty recommendation from our end of the year game show uh, review and uh, yeah Tetris Effect which I haven't actually had a chance to speak about since I've been playing it um, I like Tetris Effect a lot I'm I'm still not at the level you were with it in terms of uh, its uh, its visuals and its soundtrack in fact the soundtrack for the most part just really doesn't do anything for me um, but you know I'm a garbage man so I'll take that <laughs> Uh, but you know, obviously, visually, it's it's a very you go through the emotions with it. it they're definitely, uh, I, I like to think, or I would think that there was some sort of um, efforts put in from a kind of psychological uh, point of view in in the way that the colors change and shift, and um, just how you feel, even like during the moments where the game uh, kind of picks up its intensity with. The Tetraminos falling down. Uh, it never feels like a stressful ex experience, um, even though towards the the latter part of that game, it can get pretty difficult. But it's so just pleasing and calming on the eye that you never feel that stress, stress and tension build up. Uh, and then you know, just it's weird to think of Tetris in VR. But once you actually start playing it, because I had this um, a good few times where I was playing it, like I was playing Tetris for a good kind of. 
three, four hours in a row. And uh, my bedroom has uh, blacked out uh, black curtains, so I, I just I can completely block out all sunlight because I am a vampire. And uh, you know, even without actually playing it in VR, just looking at the TV in this kind of blacked out room, you do completely get lost in the surroundings of playing mm-hmm. Tetris. And you know, as as close as I could be to playing VR without actually playing VR, I kind of felt that. And when I was actually playing VR, it was a similar experience, other than just my actual peripheral vision. There was all of the visuals and effects of the game around me as well. Um, and it's a, it's a very absorbing experience. And um, you know, you can go into VR looking for different things, but if you just want to get lost without any of the stress or tension or worrying about what's around you, because you know that's a, an additional uh, element that you get with VR. Like Tetris Effect is perfect for that. Yeah, it's just it's one of those like the longer you play it. Now, obviously, we kind of were switching about. We'll talk about the other two games you play now in a sec, but um, because I was trying to kind of run you through the the highlights of VR I've had so far, you didn't get the time to kind of like properly sit back, let the shoulders sink, and let the whole game wash over you for too long. But um, it definitely seems you're you're on the path to very much enjoying that game. That the next time you get a hold of it, and um, oh yeah, I mean I've been I I've sunk a good uh, I say twenty hours into Tetris Effect, and uh, you know I'm I'm definitely on board of it. And if mm. I did have PSVR, it would absolutely be one of the first things that I buy is just to be able to have that thing that I can just get lost in because one of the it's cliche but one of the reasons that you play video games is just to get lost and switch off Mm. from the real world for however long and there isn't any more kind of definitive way to do that within Tetris Effect VR, you know? Yeah, it's it's sensory deprivation, the VR headset. Like, it's it's a really gets you focused. We we joke a little bit, the, the ADD thing at the start of the show, but one of the things I think a lot of people can, that will ring true with a lot of people is that even when you're playing a game and the idea expressly is to play the game to relax, you find yourself like looking at the phone or looking around a lot and, and having that VR headset just tied around your face really forces you into the immersion, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and it's just, but you, it's also the kind of thing though there, and it's one of the issues with VR in general, in that um, sometimes you're, but it's not like Tetris effects, and it, it kind of is with Tetris effects in general, even without out VR, that there's all of the stuff that's going on around the screen, and you can't really yeah. focus on it, because obviously you're having to focus on uh, the Tetraminos falling. Uh, but every now and again, um, you would get glance of like this uh, kind of swell of neon lights that represents a whale or something, um, mm. and uh, yeah, just uh, just a really absorbing experience and uh, just a real kind of a, a positive light on VR. And one of the first times where I looked at VR and was like, okay, this is something that I I could get behind, and, and I'm still not going to buy it, but if I was gonna, that would be a a contributing factor into why I decided to bu- decide to buy a, a VR set. Um, now, with that said, as much as I like Tetris Effect, I fucking love Astrobot. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so, I do, do you get? But before you get into it, do you get the the thing? A lot of people are saying that playing Astrobot for the first time. Now, I know you only played through the first world, uh, the first couple of levels of the first world, but do you get what people mean by the getting the, not necessarily the equivalent game quality, but the, the feeling of the first time you played Mario 64? Uh, I can see that to a certain degree, sure, yeah. Um, though, like, I mean, I've had different 
I, you know, I've played enough VR before that the the idea of of being in in playing video games in a completely different way, um, I've kind of had that sort of Mario sixty four moment. But certainly, like if you come into <clears throat> playing VR for the first time, you're playing Astrobot for the first time. I'd absolutely see where you're coming from because you just immediately, and I don't know where it's just because I've been playing games for so many years, but as I was playing through the levels, I was thinking in ways and like, you know, kind of looking around corners to see if like any of the, the robots were there and just, you know, kind of playing with what I think I should be able to do that was actually things that I were able to do. Um, and it was a real, just, just a real kind of charming, positive uh, feeling that um, you just, and I, this set makes me sound like a creep watching you while you were playing it because obviously you had the headset on just like the big dumb smile on your face the whole time is exactly how i felt playing it oh yeah it's if it's impossible i i'd imagine it's impossible to play that and not just because the whole presentation is is super super charming and the the life and the personality in the the robots uh is is completely on brand with me like it in a lot of ways it feels like a pixar film uh yeah. in a vr game it's, it's like Wally, like um, yeah, to to a certain degree, and you know, just the the animations and just the the life and the colors and the characters. Uh, it's just it's a real charming experience. Uh, but on top of that, it's a really clever game in the way it's designed. And and as I was saying, that you know, you're thinking about okay, can I look around a corner? Can I look over an edge? And yeah, like you, the game wants you to do that because there are things to to see and look around. So, um, and the way that the the game has different things that it does that it kind of forces you to um kind of look up look behind you um and because it's unless you play enough vr you never really think about that sometimes like oh hey you know if i look behind me there's you know a whole world behind me as well and you don't really think about that when you're playing video games uh, normally because obviously you've just got the tv in front of you um but the game does force you at points to really kind of think about you know look behind you look to your left look to your right look all around like you would if you were in real life um, and it is a very weird sensation when you're moving along, and as it would be with, with VR in general, it's very weird when you're walking along and you kind of look to your right and you're still walking and you can see whatever is kind of going past you, but you know mm. you're stationary. It's a very, very jarring uh, feeling to have, yeah. um, and you know that's just that's how perception works. So, um, yeah. but yeah, it's 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 super charming. I, I super enjoyed the soundtrack. Um, I could have easily, uh, if I'd sunk more time into it last year, I would have probably made a case for it to be in my top ten. Yeah, I, I think next time you're over, I want to get you to the end of World Two. All right. Um, that's the point. Like, because then you'll get through. The, each world has a boss battle at the end, so then you'll have done a couple of boss battles, and. Um, and now that I've played a bit further, I see what Barry means. Barry goes on about how there's a level in World 2 where it goes from this is pretty great to this is a just a knockout, like, top three possible for game of the year sort of game. Okay. Um, so I'd be very interested to get you a bit further into that the next time you're over and see what you think. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll put that plan in motion. Uh, and then mm. the only other thing uh, was Super Hot. And Super Hot is pretty much Fucked what I'd expect. It's it's pretty much what I'd expect Superhot in VR to be, and that's pretty fucking dope. Uh, yeah, and damn right. The... And you nearly fucking decked me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, the feeling of uh, picking up uh, a pair of Uzis in front of you 
emptying out the ammo clips, throwing them behind you, picking up like a, a phone or whatever's in front of you to launch at someone to knock them out, pick their gun up, shoot someone else. Like it, there's a real kind of rhythm action to um, playing super hot. Um, and it's, you know, it's that kind of art of repetition that they're the super short, hyper-focused, uh, levels, uh, that, you know, only last if you do them, uh, quickly, like seven to eight seconds. Uh, and it's, it's just a proper intense kind of feeling. Um, but I can see how anyone that kind of gets freaked out easily or is anxious, um, you know, you quickly start to realize that, oh wait, you've got shit coming at you from either side, and like, you're focused on what's in front of you, and then you kind of look to the right, and you realize that this figure is actually, like, you know, right next to your face with a gun or a fist, um, and yeah, it's it's pretty cool, but uh, it's it, it's so intense that after about 10 minutes, I'm like, yeah, I'm done with this, I'm, I'm good, I'm chill, give me more Astro Bolt, give me more Tetris Effect. <laughs> yeah oh man uh, I, I got a couple of bits to talk about <clears throat> here uh, my update on Resident Evil 2 that game is fucking great uh, <laughs> I've gotten a bit further I, I've run into Mr. X I have gotten just up to the I'm not going to spoil again like last week I've got to the clock tower um, it's still an amazing faithful recreation of what you want from Resident Evil 2 but brought into the, the modern day feels great to play. Um, they've spooked it up a bunch. Um, and yeah, love that shit. But Mark, I, I'm, I'm not going to dwell on it because there's a game I want to talk about here. Right. And that game is Wargroove. How long have we waited for Wargroove, Mark? <laughs> so I've, uh, I've only put about an hour and a half in so far I've done the first level where you actually get to use the, the war pops or whatever the fuck they're called for the first time Yeah, and uh, that's I'm, where the, the difficulty starts to yeah, go up I, I imagine you're all uh, significantly farther along than I am at this point a, a little bit, I yeah um, but yeah, we've been waiting a while for this now, I mean for anyone that doesn't know uh, Wargroove is effectively a, a spiritual successor to Advance Wars which mm -hmm. is a game that we both love and it's a game that we've had on the book club in the past um, and from the, the first time that I saw anything to do with this game I was like, okay, this is basically Advance Wars I believe I'm... we saw this during the launch event the, the announcement for the Switch uh, well, did we now? I'm pretty sure that it was either the announcement. It was either the announcement of the Switch that was shown in the indie sizzle reel, yeah. or it was you know the one after it, but before it came out. I mean, it, it was certainly the one where was. They did the pricing. It, it was one of the very early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. We definitely knew about this game before the Switch launch, so late 2016 at at, at best. But uh, you know, effectively, we went in thinking, okay, this is going to be like Advance Wars. Please let it be like the original, and not those weird sequels that went a bit dark and fucking gritty like that Bomberman reboot they did for the Xbox uh, and thankfully uh, I think you'll agree with me Dave they've done pretty much what we wanted which was just make Advance Wars but you yep. know their own spin on it yeah this is and with dogs in good accessories yeah this is Advance Wars but it's Advance Wars made it like it brought up to date it's Advanced Advance Wars it, it is indeed it is Advance all caps Wars <laughs> um and yeah, like like you said, it, it delivers everything you might want and then some. And the first note I have written down here in my little notebook is that the Game of the Year race is officially on. Um, and I will be 
I, I'm going to plant a flag right here and say even in the early phases of playing this game, if there are 10 games I enjoy more this year, this is going to be a stonking great year for games, let me tell you. Well, between this and Resident Evil, Evil 2, you're already off to a flying start. I'm having a great January, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> now um, into February. But, I don't know, so, you, yeah, as I said, you are a little bit further along than I am. Um, yeah. I certainly have the, the kind of base core idea of what this game is going to be. Um, but from for you, uh, from the time you started to the time you have now, um, do you feel like you are literally just playing a clone of Advance Wars? Does Wargroove, or does Wargroove, you know, does it feel like its own game, but it's obviously taken, you know, the core mechanics of what Advance Wars is? Yeah, so the answer to your question is yes and no. Okay. Um, if you were to imagine it as um, some sort of, I don't know what the good metaphor would be, something like, uh, say if you're building with Lego and you're taking, so, someone has built something, in this case, Advance Wars, and what you're doing is building a bigger and more sophisticated shell around it almost. Um, so it is definitely at its heart, essentially advanced wars so you are not going to be lost uh when it comes to this if you did play advanced wars back in the day it's got um very similar kind of style it's got um the kind of you've got your units you've got your kind of boiled down rts strategy like it's not the most overly complicated strategy it's not without complication we'll get to that in a while but it's not the most overly complex game to get used to within the rts genre um you've got your commanders your co's that have their own individual special powers that you get used to over the course of the campaign and such um so in ways like that is very similar to advanced wars but the way it builds out and builds upon that is where it separates itself from it um, the campaign in and of itself, I think it depends on what type of player you are. Uh, if you're looking for the quick and, and kind of get in, get out, have a like a quick level, a quick campaign arcade mode, it's probably more for you uh, because you can kind of you can tune your settings in arcade mode or, or, or pick modes that allow you to complete an entire campaign within about half an hour like a real quick kind of very much like the old advance wars kind of style in the campaign particularly as you get to the area mark described and beyond uh, a lot of the proper full-size missions in the campaign mode are going to take you an hour plus uh, now that is really cool for somebody like me and I suspect somebody like Mark who w wants advanced wars but also wants a challenge from their campaign mode uh, as they go on that it is this campaign now it may get a bit frustrating if you get right to the finish line and completely fuck it up because you can't save scum uh, in this game uh, at least not yet anyway so you will have to start from the start but uh, to me, and I fail that mission you're on now, Mark. Uh, I don't know about you. Like I failed a, a fair few times because it is the first point at which the difficulty noticeably curves up. Um, you're kind of without much of a clue as to what you're doing. You can pretty much spoof your way to that point in the game where this is the point. Uh, that mission where they introduce the, the the your 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 war dogs of the the fog of war as well that's where the you you it really separates the people who are just kind of like uh, offensive minded and just want to get through a map as quickly as possible from the people who actually are going to think strategically and be good at this game um so yeah long ass missions sometimes in the campaign which i really like um maybe not for everybody like i said you move into the arcade mode then and it's short snappy maps um 
you can play 1v1 um and it's you can do like a couple of short missions on that that's great um what else am i looking at here then you've got multiplayer the multiplayer is quite robust so not only do you have much like back in the days of the game boy advance you have your uh local multiplayer um i i'm not sure if you can do co-op uh or not because i haven't really played with anybody in my house yet so i like no you haven't been over so i haven't had the chance um but there is the offline kind of uh, couch multiplayer there anyway. There is online multiplayer, which is cool. And once I've kind of definitely gotten my teeth into it and and unlocked and played with all the different kinds of units you can have in the game, I think we'll be having an online match or two, my friend. Um, and here's my favorite thing about the online multiplayer. And I don't know if you knew this beforehand, Mark, but I certainly didn't. Um, you can have asynchronous multiplayer. I was not aware of that. So to the the kind of people who don't know what that means, basically, if myself and Mark were playing, but we couldn't, have, you know, hatch it out a time where the two of us would both be around to play out a whole campaign, we can start an asynchronous online game where as soon as I'm free and available and on Wi-Fi, I'll take my turn. And then much like people who play like chess online, then it's just kind of whenever Mark gets a chance to take his turn, he takes his turn. I'll get the little notification within the game then that Mark has taken his turn. It's time for me to take mine. So I could be managing a bunch of different online campaigns. Like I could pop out of a match with you and go into a match with Jack or something like that. Because it's basically like if now. you've ever played uh, Words with Friends um, yeah. or something like that. It's Yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's a really cool feature. That's a really cool feature. And then the other thing that's a really cool feature and something that may well uh, pique your interest, Mark, a map editor. Oh, hello. So you can design your own maps, share and upload them online. Um, the only thing I have from what I'm reading around, because I haven't really delved too deep into this, there are two problems with this mode. Uh, one is that there isn't a quick undo if you make one mistake. Um, so you kind of have to like redo an area. I wouldn't be surprised if that's hot fixed in before long. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly that's why it wasn't a major hang up for me. And then the other problem is I think uh people were saying they'd like a better way to sort the crap maps from the really good maps in the the kind of search function uh in the browser. So uh, the, it's kind I'd, of you I'd can't imagine, you can't filter by rating. Oh, you can't. See, that's ridiculous. Why yeah. why would you not be <laughs> So again, I imagine hot fix at some stage. Yeah. That's the uh... easiest thing to do if you can it, it would stand to reason that if you're able to rate maps on it, eventually there will be a facility for you to uh, organize by the, the highest rated or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that seems like an astonishing oversight. I'm going to have to have a look into that. I want to see... Uh, uh, I haven't really spent any time with any kind of like level editor since the days of Tony Hawk's 3 and 4. Hey, Super Mario Maker. <laughs> I didn't even spend a lot of time with that in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I think I came to that so far past when the game actually came out because of China and everything. Um mm. But yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how that is. I from the the ninety minutes or so I've spent with it, um, I I think that the overall presentation um, it comes as there's no surprise that someone who enjoys that pixel art style that the game is is really fucking pretty. Um, it has that slick pixel art animation style down, um, and just everything just you know you can see the time that was spent uh, fine tuning that game to a high sheen. Um, it just, you know, adds to the overall thing because, you know, the original Advance Wars was uh, a really cool game and, and its presentation was exactly what it needed to be but certainly kind of taking that and applying it to all the tricks and techniques that we have with um, 
pixel art games in 2019. You know, it, it definitely has all that going on. Um, I haven't listened to the soundtrack too much. There's nothing there that seems to stand out too much. I do like the um, kind of one or two words that you get from a sentence that the uh, voice actors um, say. Um, but yeah, uh, to me, the the soundtrack is the per. It, like I I haven't come across now again by the end of the campaign. I may change my tack on that. I haven't come across anything yet that this is a certified banger soundtrack of the year nomination. But yeah, what I will say yet. that's it's its strongest suit is that it's the kind of pleasant and enjoyable music that isn't going to get annoying on a long campaign mission. No, but uh, for me, it's it's such a uh, type of game where I can easily like know that my experience of this game, whether I have the soundtrack or not, doesn't differ, so I'll just probably just go straight to putting a podcast on and, yeah. and muting it. Um, and maybe they were aware of it as well in the grand scheme of things, who knows. But yeah, so far from what I've been playing, and certainly from what you have been saying, um, this this could uh, be an early Game of the Year contender. Yeah, um, and just on that level editor thing, so there's the basic map editor, but then there's a campaign editor, where you can design a full campaign map with side quests. Uh, which is fucking awesome and just to show you how robust the map and campaign editor is in this game the entire actual campaign of this game was designed in the editor really so they have essentially handed over to you exactly how they designed the campaign and the arcade maps for the game See that's uh, that's I a really cool thing. I just read that today on their wiki. So that's a really cool thing because when you think about stuff like, uh, for example, like Tony Hawk's, you know, you can definitely tell there's a little bit of a difference between the the tools that you have available and the actual game itself. Um, so it's always cool when uh, some portion of the game that was made by the developers um, is effectively there for you, like kind of like Little Big Planet. Um, you know, just whatever you can see there is something that you can make as well. That's that's really fucking cool, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, creativity and and you know, basically, I'm waiting to see Mario One One being made in Wargroove. <laughs> yeah, um, and just to run you through the different, like, there are so many different kinds of units you can have in the game. Um, so, like, you know, there was the air, land, and sea in Advance Wars, and a couple of basic variations within that. Um, I'm just going to run you through the list here. Uh, ground units in Wargroove. You've got Soldier, Dog, Spearman, Wagon, Archer, Mage, Cavalry, Ballista, Trebuchet, Giant, and Commander. Air units, you've got a Balloon, an Aeronaut, a Skyrider, and a fucking Dragon. Uh, sea units, Barge, Amphibian, Turtle, Harpoon Ship, Warship. Uh, and then, of course, you've got your different commanders within that. Um, I, I will say one thing um, from having a quick look around the UI is that uh, when you press B and you look on any of the, the units and you can see the strengths and weaknesses, uh, yeah. from what I can see, there isn't any way to highlight over them to actually kind of clearly like see what the names of those characters, the, the units are because you can only see mm. like a small uh, image and it doesn't really clearly define what exactly that unit is. So yeah. well, uh, there's, there's you... little quality of, quality of life things like that that they yeah. can work on. To me, I think one, like, and this is just kind of from uh, being like a little bit further ahead, I think it's like after a little while, you kind of get used to if a, if a, a sprite looks a certain way, oh, that must be their version of your pikeman, your, your spear guy, or that must be their version of your dog uh, or whatever. Like, yeah, at first it can be a little bit, you know, which one is that? Like, um, another thing I really enjoy in this game that adds uh, another layer are, is the crit system. So to do critical hits, uh, each different unit has a different way to do critical hits that rewards um, you learning about your different units and what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, so, for instance, if you have 
two guys with spears or pikes uh the way the way to get them to do their critical hit every time is that they should be standing beside each other uh if you want a, a ranged weapon someone with a bow and arrow to do their critical hit they need to be obviously within range um but you need to not move that turn mm. if they if, if you don't move their crit chance goes up um and, and so on and so on it, with the dogs their critical hit is if you completely surround somebody with the dogs um so yeah it's it, it's pretty cool thinking like that uh one thing i will say as well uh the further you go on it becomes evident that the ai in this game is pretty good um the ai seems very much to rather than be on like a pre-planned path that this is what they're going to do the ai seems to very much react to your style of play and will so if you target a particular type of unit in the game or target a particular path uh if you like say damage their commander instead of leaving their commander on the field as you would get in some rts's where oh they're out there that's what the ai is doing it's trying to push forward um they will go into retreat mode and put a wall of units around the commander and start moving back uh in retreat away from you uh to save the commander because that that's the thing you can either go capture their headquarters or if you destroy their commander in the field then you win the map you win the map um so just that that feeling that i'm playing against a relatively intelligent system uh ratchets up the tension and makes me love it that bit more because it's just going to make it harder and more challenging uh, and, and that's what i'm here for and they uh, have good dogs in the, armor so yeah they have very good dogs in very good armor who uh they get bonuses just for being so good <laughs> and you know they help with fog of war so yeah yeah that, yeah that's cool as well that's like everyone has a different special ability so like you're um one of the commanders i think his name is emmerich he um he every few turns charges up and can use a healing crystal um your dogs if they stand it, it the further they move into the map the more fog of war they can see through and if they stand on a mountain um then they can see a huge uh part of the map around them as well so like there's just like i said it's advanced wars at its heart but the things they built around and on top of that concept um are what make this an absolute knockout of a game yeah. i fucking love it so much oh and it's crossplay oh is it's it got, oh excellent it's, it's got crossplay and i believe the the map and level editor you can download and nice. cross download very nice so that's yeah, the, awesome the, it's the, on everything but ps4 at the moment the i wonder why it uh, is coming to PS4, but the, just don't work when. The the additional thing with that as well is like that, um, like specific units as well. That if you have, um, say, two of the like the lancers, whatever they're called, like if you have, um, one standing behind the other, the one in front will uh be more uh will, will hit a critical basically. Uh, yeah. if you have um two of the dogs um parallel to each other or either either side of an enemy. Uh, they'll do more damage. So there's like little kind of techniques with that with each of the the characters, which gives you more uh, kind of ways to plan and prepare and, and how to attack. So uh, yeah, like the little things like that certainly you know take the core ideas of advanced wars and certainly have uh, advanced them for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's Wargroove. Uh, we'll probably be gushing about that all through the month of February. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned. Uh, let's move from that on to the news. Uh, Mark, we thought that this might be the case uh, with Microsoft being more open 
to uh, crossplay on Nintendo platforms. Uh, that this would happen. Microsoft is readying a new level of Xbox Live support for Nintendo Switch, iOS, and Android devices. The Windows Maker teased the reveal due next month at GDC uh, via the in- the industry event's own conference schedule. The move will see Microsoft integrate Xbox Live achievements, friends, clubs, and game history into non-Xbox and Windows PC platforms for the first time. Uh, Xbox Live is about to get much bigger. The description reads, Xbox Live is expanding from 400 million gaming devices to reach over 68 million active players to over 2 billion devices with the release of our new uh, cross-platform XDK. Um, This makes uh, a certain amount of sense for them. This was already sort of rolled out in the cross-platform Minecraft uh, versions uh, on Nintendo Switch. Where you would you kind of you logged in through Xbox Live for that? Um, how do you feel about this, Mark? It's like it seems like a, from Microsoft's perspective to make a lot of sense, but it seems from the player's perspective to potentially be a little bit messy as well. Yeah, it's 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 fucking nuts that it exists. Is the first thing to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the idea. Um, I mean, we always kind of said that we wonder when Switch would get its own achievement system, and well, there you go. That's that fucking sorted for them. <laughs> it's got someone else's. <laughs> uh, it just—it just—it seems crazy that uh, you know. I mean, the thing that players have asked for is being able to have um, either cross-play or integration um, with being able to play against their friends and stuff. I don't think anyone imagined that this is the kind of thing that would become available to you know be able to earn Xbox achievements while playing your Switch. Uh, it's cool, I guess. Uh, I don't know if this is Microsoft trying to find like ways to stick it to Sony because um, you know the the places where they can stick it to Sony are effective in terms of um, their uh, willingness to do crossplay and with um, their backwards compatibility. Uh, not really sure this is as uh, as something they can kind of hold up high and say, hey, we have this and Sony doesn't, but it exists and that's cool. Uh, so, yeah, it just, it just took me by surprise, really. And uh, I'll be curious to see in a year or two's time and, and, you know, see kind of what statistics, what figures they have and, like, how many uh, Xbox and shit was the kind of... With a, 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 a sum total of 100%, like how much of that percentage is Xbox achievements that have been uh, gained through anything that isn't an actual Xbox? Uh, I'd be very curious to see. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's this is one of those things, like you say, it's kind of, um, it's fucking bizarre that it exists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, the success or failure of this wild idea will be borne out in just kind of what happens going forward. Um, is this another thing that's going to create additional pressure on Sony to start playing ball? Uh, is this a curious thing I have, uh, a question I have is, um, will this play into plans for how easy or not crossplay will be next generation? Um, are people in R&D at Nintendo, Microsoft and Sony going, well, we need to make this process of kind of like... We need to allow for the possibility of signing into our services on consoles that aren't ours now. Um, and does that in some ways, you know, one of Sony and Nintendo's old excuses for not doing it back when Nintendo weren't interested at all was the idea that there'd be people playing these games and they wouldn't have control over them because it's not they'll be interacting with people who aren't in their player base. So does that, in some respects, if those are genuine concerns, does that assuage some of that, that they're being brought onto the Xbox Live server so it's not really their problem anymore in those cases? 
Um, it's tough to say. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think it's just there's however much uh, of a vocal opinion by the, the the players, the fan base, that at some point, however much they have in terms of reservations about doing certain things and, and not having as much control, uh, there are still steps and processes that they can have in place to have some control. Um, but yeah, it'll be definitely definitely with the next generation seeing how, uh, certainly with Sony, how they want to go about uh, incorporating crossplay and and how much there will be you know there effectively. Um, mm. And I guess Minecraft will probably because there'll probably be a fucking PS5 version of Minecraft and an Xbox 2.5 version of Minecraft. Yeah. Um, so you know we'll probably see there if 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 Sony really just go fuck it fuck it let's just do this and be done with it. Mm. Uh, Mark, over recent years, what's been your favourite uh, marketing blunder? Uh, I can think of two in particular: the uh, the troubling at best Far Cry Four image of a pagan Min with his foot on a slave, uh, and and my other personal favourite the uh, the Battlefield onesie. Uh, I forgot for, about that. <laughs> yeah, the World War onesie, man. I could I lay awake at night sometimes thinking about that shit. Um, yeah, we've got our latest one to add to that fucking Hall of Fame. Uh, Ubisoft got a bit of hot water this week as they emailed people out uh, links for the private beta sign up for the Division Two uh, with the line "Come see what a real government shutdown looks like in the private beta." Uh, obviously. Uh, government shutdowns bit of a touchy subject over in america right now uh we have some brief respite as uh, the government is back open for three weeks but it could go right back into shutdown this uh christmas time shutdown was the longest in history i believe uh so yeah this was i don't know what pr departments are smoking nowadays man that like these these blunders and faux pas seem to get more and more regular it's look it's uh it's the the age-old saying of um oh wait no what is the age-old saying <laughs> <laughs> oh god what's uh you can leave that in man <laughs> what's oh, of course look mate well how much editing do you think i do in these fucking shows um what was bischoff saying he had one didn't he Controversy creates cash. There you go. That's the one. We'll go with that. Um, so, I don't know. I guess Ubisoft either... Their PR department had a complete oversight with this, or they they know from either looking at prior stunts they've done or looking uh, across at other uh, publishers and seeing how they've had stunts and how they've gone and realised that either the risk um, and the backlash they may get it doesn't create as much of an issue and and you know it creates publicity and it's worth that hit in the backlash or they just didn't really fucking think about it and you can make a case for for either of them effectively yeah absolutely um it's just it's just one of those things isn't it 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 really is i mean i i don't know i guess uh not being an, an american and not being you know affected by the the government shutdown that in the grand scheme of things, when I look at this at the end of the year as a, you know, kind of a, a Konami Corner ineptitude moment, this probably won't even be a thing that will 
register or be on my radar um, yeah well considering we've talked about legitimate crimes last week and we're about to this week yeah. it probably won't feature but it will join that illustrious uh list with the world war onesie uh, that's for sure of uh, maybe you shouldn't have moments anyway dave let's talk about uh crime uh, yeah yeah okay yeah <laughs> go ahead just gonna just gonna burst this bubble of joy uh, that we've been having on the cast so far with this headline from kotaku twitch streamer and game studio employee arrested in child sex sting uh, as a thomas, headline yeah thomas chung uh, an employee of studio of game studio high res makers of positives and a partnered twitch streamer was arrested last weekend in brookhaven georgia in connection with a super bowl weekend child sex sting Police charged him with using a computer service to seduce, solicit, lure, or entice a child, which is a felony in Georgia. I should fucking hope it is. Uh, Chung, 32, was one of 21 men arrested by Georgia police and the FBI. Uh, 11 Alive first reported an esports reporter, Rod Slasher Breslaw, publicized among the game community. In a press release, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation explained that the sting took several months to prepare. Uh, the goal of Operation Interception was to arrest persons who communicate with the children online, have sexually explicit conversations, and then travel to meet them for the purpose of having sex. Additionally, the operation targeted those who were willing to exploit children by purchasing sex with a minor. According to a police incident report obtained by Kotaku, Chung was arrested in a Brookhaven parking garage. Neither the Georgia Bureau of Investigation nor Brookhaven Police Department provided further details to Kotaku, uh, with the former citing the concern information would undermine future stings according to georgia law chung could face up to a twenty-five thousand dollar fine and 20 years in prison fucking hell i not obviously this isn't really the the crucial part of this whole thing but i enjoy that at the start it goes uh, police charged him with using a computer service to seduce solicit law uh, and entice a child which is a felony in georgia i like that we, we're at least established that this is a felony in georgia uh yeah this yeah. whole thing is just fucking ridiculous and um I, uh automatically i we should probably by the end of january uh, by the end of well maybe by the end of february we'll have stopped talking about end of the year um i i think <laughs> those shows take so much out of me that <laughs> and it's just just buried in the backs of our minds for quite a while afterwards yeah but this this uh this will be well up there i guess yeah um it's, it's, just... it's not that it makes it any worse, but when you have anyone that has any kind of uh, public face, uh, whether it be on Twitch or YouTube, it does mm -hmm. really compound because um, you, you know, don't have num exact numbers, but you would imagine that a large portion of the uh, the audience for uh, YouTube or Twitch influencers' personalities is as a younger audience. Um, mm. So that always just makes it that little bit more grotesque. It's worth noting that in so many ways, still in 2019, the internet is just this wild west, and um, the gaming, the gaming space is this at times uncomfortable nexus of, of children who are inherently a, a, a vulnerable part of the population, uh, and people uh, who can remain anonymous and or uh, have power within the like like these twitch streamers who have uh, a position of uh, influence and power within gaming and within the culture that so routinely 
do we find these kind of public figures not necessarily involved in something like a child sexting, but we've had things like the Counter-Strike Go Muppets a couple of years ago. (laughs) Please don't start bringing these all back to me because I'm just going to get upset. And then we've had like the repeated controversies with the likes of PewDiePie. We've had the guy from NeoGAF. Like there's a lot of people within the community who have used their positions of whatever repute to do uh, less than great things. To say the very fucking least, um, and yeah, um, if he if they, they got him, they seem to have got him hook, line, and sinker here, and I hope the fucker rots. That seems like a fair uh, fair statement. Yeah, I think so. Moving swiftly, fucking on. <laughs> I think uh, that we have a new studio under the two K umbrella, and uh, the thing that piqued our interest here, Mark, I think, is that the man at the top. Uh, is uh, the creator of Dead Space. Uh, so this is more for you than me, but I figured this would be a thing that would uh, would pique your interest. So how do you feel about this? And yeah, can so... I just say, by the way, that fuck GameSpot and their videos that play automatically when you load into oh, the website. Fuck that, fuck that so much. Yeah. This is why we tend to use like Eurogamer and stuff yeah. like that, is they don't have an embed video player that autoplays. We, are not pivot- we can confirm that Link to the Cast is not pivoting to video, so fuck off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this new studio, uh, Michael Condry is the name of the Dead Space creator that I completely blanked on there. Uh, the, the studio will be based out of the Silicon Valley. Uh, doesn't have a name as of yet. Um, and you would think if you're hiring that guy, um, you're looking for a Dead Space kind of game. Uh, Possibly, but maybe, I mean, I don't know. What I suppose a... his, his other notable... Um, feet in gaming the thing that's less appealing to me is that he was a co-founder of sledgehammer games which is one of the 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 three studio rotation of call of duty yeah uh i mean considering like what those games end up at the end and and i don't know maybe um i could see if i was a game developer that you know after having uh i don't know if he was attached to all three games but if he was but after you know being part of a trilogy of games like that you probably would just want to move on to something else Mm. Um, well it depends uh, it, it depends on what the situation here is like for example the one I'm thinking of in the back of my head is that EA 100% signed Amy Hennig away that time to make an Uncharted style game uh, under the Star Wars banner for them and then all of a sudden the the studio closed was it last year or early the previous year uh, because apparently they just decided they didn't want that kind of game anymore and got real mad about it <laughs> but, how, uh, how very EA of them yeah, like I, if yeah, I'm but, looking but at the with guy that said, who... though, with that said, you're looking to make a type of game, but you know you are using it within the the Star Wars setting. Um, I'd imagine people see this and they basically just want another um, a Dead Space game, which I, I think is a little bit different in terms of uh, what you know EA were looking for at one time. Um, but but I mean, it's it's funny enough, and this article does point it out that the. <laughs> Dead Space has had more of an impact on the industry than a lot of people would necessarily think um, because, as I said, the GameSpot article points out, you can very much feel the DNA of Dead Space in Resi 7 and the Resi 2 remake of this year. Um, just some of the the ideas and the way to do <clears throat> hor- mar- modern horror games, uh, definitely Dead Space is a big influencer of a lot of the games coming out now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what uh, what comes out with this studio, and it's definitely refreshing, especially after kind of the back half of last year and uh, some of the some of the rumors swirling around. I think it's respawn. 
uh, at the moment uh, under the EA banner. It, it's certainly good to report on a studio opening uh, for once. <laughs> that much I am I'm very happy about. Uh, people are going to be getting work. Uh, talented people, I'm sure. Hey, Mark, this seems like possibly a bit up your straza and certainly up a, a, a particular well, niche for people. 14-year-old Mark was, was well on board with this, but it's a cool little thing and I'm, I'm glad that it exists. Uh, there's going to be a free Pokemon trading card game app for smartphones. Um, a new Pokemon app is on the way to iOS and Android. The Pokemon company has announced the Pokemon trading card game Card Dex, a free app for mobile devices that allows users to easily catalog their Pokemon card collections. The uh, Card Dex is available today in Sweden. I don't know why it's starting in Sweden. Um, and will expand to all other regions soon. I, I would imagine that in terms of if you want to stress test the server, you want to do it in somewhere where... Maybe, True. You know. uh, this app allows you to scan your physical Pokemon cards using your smartphone's camera and keep track of those you own. You'll also be able to browse an extensive database featuring every card since the release of the Sun and Moon series and manually catalog your collection. Uh, it hasn't announced whether it will be available to download in other parts of the world, but the application supports several languages, including English, French, Italian, German, Spanish, and Portuguese. The company says any card you scan will be displayed in the app in the language you've selected, even if it differs from that on your actual card. Uh... Yeah, that's pretty. That's a pretty cool way to kind of modernize and digitize the physical card game. Honestly, um, I'm surprised it's not a thing that they'd done earlier. And actually, the thing that has me even more surprised than that is that they haven't made some um, companion piece of hardware which exists to basically be like a, a Pokedex that will read your um, trading cards. Uh, it, it seems to me some sort of like Pokedex phone cover. Yeah. Pretty is, much uh, money on the table. Pretty much. <laughs> if they um, wanted. But yeah, I mean, 15-year-old of me would have been all over this, although, you know, it's only from Sun and Moon cards onwards, so my shiny Charizard is uh, not going to be much use. But yeah, this is cool. And actually, the thing that I get from this more than anything else is I really want a trading card game for the Switch. Because, mm. you know, everything is better on the Switch, even yeah. actual card games. And give me a Pokemon Picross as well, who we're out of place. <sighs> Oh, it's been a while since Picross S2 came out. I'm, I'm ready for another. <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is this is awesome. And um, uh, I can definitely see uh, why they would be doing this. And, and you, you're going to see this this kind of stuff, considering the, the success of um, Pokemon Go. And obviously this isn't anything like Pokemon Go, but you're seeing the success of Pokemon on the mobile platform. Um, you know, this is... I, I have no idea in 2019 what the level of popularity of the trading card games is exactly. Um, yeah. But obviously, uh, Nintendo and the Pokemon Company must see some um, monetary gain and value to be had in it. Indeed. Uh, that's the end of the news for this week. Uh, let's now move into the resurrected segment. That is the release date roundup. Okay, Mark, as always, as of last week, on the release date roundup, we have uh, two sections here, announcements, new releases, and delays. Uh, let's launch straight into announcements and releases as Respawn, around whom there are a lot of rumors about that studio's long-term future, but uh, in the meantime, they've released uh, sort of a new game, 
it's it's not quite Titanfall 3. It's called Apex Legends. Free on PS4, Xbox One, PC. It's a free-to-play game. You can download it right the fuck now. Um, and it seems essentially to be a Battle Royale game. If you're looking for comment from me for saying that I'm probably never going to play, I can't really give it to you for this one. And I find it interesting, though, that... Um, and I saw a tweet about this earlier that it's not like EA to release uh, a respawn game uh, two weeks uh, before they have this other kind of massive version of a similar game coming out because EA have never mm. done that before with respawn. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although reports about Anthem are mixed at the moment, so but this is interesting. It's uh, it just fucking. It's come from nowhere. Um, it's yeah, like it's so like it's, a new Radiohead album. It, yeah, it's set in the Titanfall universe, but it doesn't seem to have mechs in it. The, the Titans. Now that may be partially due to the uh, again the upcoming anthem having these mech suits. I think they're called javelins in that game, so they may not want an, like a completely similar experience coming out uh, this time right next to another one. Yeah, I don't know why the fuck EA. I, I mean, you don't know why the fuck EA. Yeah, I don't know why the fuck EA. I, <laughs> uh, I, you know, this could be really big for for two weeks. And then um, it may just completely fall under itself because of Anthem. Uh, maybe this will eat into Anthem because this is a free-to-play. I don't know how how the fuck this is going to go, you know? Yeah. Uh, so some of the key differences between it and your typical Battle Royale, according to GameSpot here. Uh, firstly, it's a wholly team-based game with 20 teams of three players facing off on one huge map. That sounds awful. Like a- yeah, like other games in the genre, you and your squad enter Apex Legends with no weapons or items and have to scavenge everything to be the last team standing. Uh, the big difference between Apex Legends and other games uh, of its like is the inclusion of characters you choose at, from at the beginning of the match. Each character has a different role in your squad and has special abilities, uh, including ultimate abilities that charge up over time. You're still finding all your guns, armor, and items on the island, but you have specific capabilities you can combine with your teammates that affect your strategy. There are eight characters, or legends as they're called in the game at launch, and Respawn will be adding more over time. Um, it has also added the innovative addition to Battle Royale in its ping system. Uh, with one dedicated button, you can ping locations, objects, and other players, marking them on your teammates' screens and drawing their attention to them, which is pretty cool. Uh, even though, again, much like yourself, we'll never play this game. That is a pretty intuitive thing for a team-based game to be able to do that. Uh, it seems very much to me, just reading this, Mark, that it's like um, smashing together Battle Royale in one hand and Overwatch in the other. <laughs> and that's kind of like, that seems to me like a very much EA what is the popular thing? <laughs> <laughs> Just fuse these two things together and money shall come and make all this be fucking Frankenstein's monster of a game and see how it goes. But I will say Titanfall 2 was fucking boss. So I, in, ter- in, in terms of like the possibly available studios within EA's umbrella to design it, I would probably trust Respawn more than any other. Well, this is the thing. Like Titanfall and Titanfall 2 are very good games that have just been horrendously mismanaged um so uh, yeah i guess we're looking at this from the aspect that it's being published by ea but i guess the there is the side of it where we should look at this that it is being developed by respawn and and i guess have a little bit more uh faith and and rein back in the cynicism just a little bit um but at the same time it is free to play battle royale and it's published by ea so (laughs) it's hard not to you know see that side of things um i'm i'm gonna definitely um listen to all of the fine gaming podcasts out there over the next week or so and and see like what the fuck is up with this thing and and see if it is actually you know 
there's anything to it. Never going to play it, but I want to at least know, you know, is it actually worth being a thing that exists? <laughs> um, next up, uh, Walking Dead, the the final season's final episode. Uh, no need to dive back into the fucking shithousery that was the shuttering of Telltale Games, but that, that final episode is out on March 26th. So people who are really, really desperate to finish off that game um, can get the chance on that. Uh, Twitch Prime's free games for February uh, include Downwell and Dear Esther. Um, and Downwell is now on the Switch, and you should yeah for about play it three there. quid, I think. Yeah, I know, right? Jesus, I, I probably pick that up with whatever gold points I have at the moment. Now that I think about it, uh, so that may be done um, just to give that a proper go. Uh, so it's uh, Dear Esther, Downwell, The Flame and the Flood, uh, and Drachnik and the Co Puzzle Collection. Uh, the Flame of the Flood is one that I remember I really liked the aesthetic of. Then when I saw the actual game in motion, I was like, oh, I don't really want to play that. Uh, but if I had if I had Twitch Prime, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't say no to it for free. Uh, Dear Esther, that is the Chinese room game, isn't it? The one that was yes. before everybody's gone to the rapture. Yes. I never, I have it, but I never... I was going to play it, and then I was like, oh, it got such shit off a lot of people that even for a walking simulator, it was very walky. And you know how much I love Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, so I didn't kind of want to lessen that experience by playing an inferior version of that game. Um, so yeah, I never got to grips with it. But hey, free games. Cool. <laughs> what more can I say about that, really? Um, and then finally, yeah, Nintendo just out of the blue announced a new free-to-play Dr. Mario. Because, uh, I mean, why the fuck not? Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this, because when the fuck would the, the last Dr. Mario game would have been like Are you fucking asking me like, <laughs> would it be game boy color or um no. you know it's not something that we've had any time uh recently and uh yeah i mean i'm <laughs> what did they actually announce this for switch or for mobile because it seems well like it's already thing... the original dr mario is already available on nintendo switch online okay um so this is headed to mobile uh, to mobile with development yeah. being held by uh, okay yeah i it seems like if you're going to put something Nintendo related on mobile, uh, that seems like one of the easiest I, to translate. Come on now. It's, yeah, you, you're two steps removed from being a match three game anyway, so why yeah. the fuck not? Um, and then our one uh, bit of delay news, um, just moving over here, and it's regarding Ape Out, which I don't know if that's a game I've ever heard of. Okay, so I have seen footage of this recently, and it basically... Oh, I saw this at the Devolver press conference, didn't I? Yeah, it looks like Hotline Miami, but with its own kind of unique visual style, which, let's be honest, Hotline Miami does have its own unique visual style, and it looks pretty fucking mental. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of... Um, I'm kind of interested by it. Uh, I actually, I think this is something that I'm probably going to get my hands on because it's got a real fucking unique vibe to it. Um, but yeah, it's been pushed back to the end of February. Um, you know, it's a couple of weeks of extra polish or whatever else they need to get sorted, so it's not that big of a deal. Um, but if you haven't had a look at it yet, just go and watch some footage of it because, uh, and certainly if you're into Hotline Miami, um, it will scratch that particular itch, I imagine. Yeah, a, a Robinson recommends, it seems like, Ooh. tentatively. Well, you know, I don't want to fully recommend until I've actually had a chance to play it, but it's... Uh, it, it no, looks... man, just start giving hysterical predictions to stuff that isn't out yet. That's no, all I want. No, no, the way I approach <laughs> this kind of... Give me your review score for Cyberpunk right this second. Uh, the way... I... 
Yeah, all right. The way I approach things is either is it a Mark Robinson TM game or not? Yeah. And there is, is no actual. This is something I've learned about you since we came up with the term Mark Robinson game around the time you moved here. Um, there is no quicker way to actually get you to play or watch something. Because <laughs> <laughs> like. If I say to you, hey, Mark, you should watch this or you should go see this film or something, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. oh I'm fucking useless. But if, I te- but if I text you and I say, Mark, Game X is a very Mark Robinson game. <laughs> I swear to God, within 48 hours, you have it downloaded and you've beaten it. Oh, fr- friends of the show, Jack Lazer on Matt Niner, for years, would uh, they'd go to me, oh, hey, Mark, you should listen to this band. And then about three years later, I'd be like, oh, Matt, by the way, have you heard this band before? And yeah, that's... The- you know, and you know, in in uh, in a couple of years' time, I'll probably be going to you and be talking about. Oh, you seen this film? Get out! It's pretty good. <laughs> Goddamn trashman! <laughs> right, that's the release date roundup over with. Uh, let's move into the Link to Cast Book Club, the weekly feature where we talk about an important uh, or monumental game from the past that you should uh, pick up for the first time if you haven't already. Play again if it's been a while. This week is a bit of a unique one uh, that I kind of just, I don't know what, uh, oh no, I do know why it was in the back of my head because it kind of just came back into the press recently and we will talk a little bit about that towards the end of this segment. This week on the book club, Donkey Kong 64. Kong 64 is a 1999, oh god I'm old, adventure platform video game for the Nintendo 64 console and the first in the Donkey Kong series to feature 3D gameplay. As the gorilla Donkey Kong, the player explores the themed levels of an island to collect items and rescue his kidnapped friends from King K. Rule. The player completes minigames and puzzles as five playable Kong characters, each with its own special abilities to receive bananas and other collectibles. In a separate multiplayer mode, up to four players can compete in the deathmatch and last man standing games. Right, Mark, this is... I think the theme about the uh, about uh, Donkey Kong 64, uh, both in terms of what it is, uh, maybe what it meant to us, uh, and certainly the 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 nuts and bolts of the game is that there's a fucking lot to this there is but you know what i i can honestly genuinely say that um donkey kong 64 is one of those games that i know of and i have played um but not a a substantial amount but it's it's a game that in in the kind of grand scheme of video games and you know i i love the donkey kong series but donkey kong 64 is kind of the red headed stepchild that I never um, spent a lot of time with and don't know a lot about its history um, so yeah. I'm, I'm curious for what you have for me uh, in this particular episode because I didn't think this is a game we would really ever get to um, so 
Yeah, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is uh, the interesting kind of retroactive narrative on DK64 in that it has become over years and with hindsight an incredibly divisive game um, and my revisiting of it over the last week or so um, cracking out the old N64 um, has, has borne that out there are things about it that have aged well there are a lot of things about it that haven't um, so Which is kind of the way with a lot of N64 games, in fairness. Yeah, um, so let's step back in the in the Wayback Machine for a while um, and talk about... This was the, the end of the 1990s. It's fair to say that by 1999, the people who love the N64 fucking love the N64, and there had already been a lot of bangers coming out on that console. This was coming from Rareware... So even if you weren't excited for the Donkey Kong of it all, you were fucking excited that Rare were putting out another game. Um, this was a, a Christmas game, so that hypes it up even more for kids. I remember, I think I've said on this show multiple times before when we've talked about N64 games, is that I was a subscriber to Nintendo Official Magazine during the N64 era. So I was reading month by month through 1999. Every time there was a little bit of information coming out about Donkey Kong 64, uh, so by the time it actually got to uh, Christmas, I was the the fucking hype levels were through the roof for this game. Um, I I love Donkey Kong, um, and I loved my one of my favorite N sixty four games was Diddy Kong Racing. So the fact that Diddy Kong was coming along for the ride and Donkey Kong sixty four had little ten year old me even more excited. Um, so the game kind of. Uh, comes out this big huge kind of furore over um i remember it was one of the first times i remember a pre-order bonus do you remember what, what i don't know if this was a thing in england or a widespread thing didn't really look it up uh do you remember what one of the what the pre-order bonus was for this game i wouldn't have a, 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 the faintest idea an inflatable golden donkey kong banana sure okay in the grand scheme of pre-order incentives that's not the most mental thing i've heard of yeah uh it was pretty cool. I remember I had it hung up in my room, um, like just kind of off a piece of string hung behind the TV. And I'm the one uh, for sheltered childhood. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, and this was around the time as well. That I think it was just before this that there was the cool, I think it might have been the review issue of Donkey Kong 64 in Nintendo Official Magazine, where you got a little uh, a little rack to stack your N64 games into free with the magazine. This They were just giving shit away in the 90s, my friend. Um but yeah, so Rare was like the first, as a small child, it was the first time I took note of a particular developer. And even at that point in my brain, without knowing a lot about how games are made, I had put two and two together that if the Rare symbol was appearing next to a game, it was probably going to be my kind of thing. Um Banjo-Kazooie, the year before, one of my favorite games on that platform and still such a soft spot for it in terms of my all-time list. And this appeared to be essentially a Banjo-Kazooie game, but with the the wacky cast of characters brought along uh, by Donkey Kong. Um, I think the best place to start, Mark, is the rap, which, if you haven't used that as the intro music for this segment... We're never speaking again. <laughs> I mean, it would be rude of me not to, let's be fair. 
the DK rap. Uh, unfortunately, it could be said that this is the most uh, infamous uh, thing about this game in some ways. For it's definitely, for yeah, it's definitely in the in kind of modern times become almost a meme. Um, so it's it's one of these things where at the time in the nineties, it was a much simpler time, much more naive time. That probably someone thought this was good. Ten-year-old me certainly enjoyed it, though I wouldn't consider myself some sort of rap savant at the time. So my my standard of quality for rap was not really that high. Um. And then kind of over the years, it became very much reviled, as the even the wiki for the game says, is often cited among the worst songs to feature in a video game. Which I think is kind of harsh, because I think I've come round again on it now, and kind of a few years ago, I'd be like, ooh, it's, a, it's real bad. And now I kind of have this ironic love of it again, that it's kind of, it's so 90s camp bad, that it's it's kind of great. I don't know about you. How do you feel about the, the DK rap? I, mean, I was never particularly like enamored to it, and now I mean I have no uh, because I don't really have any kind of a, a emotional resonance or like nostalgia for the game. That if I hear it now, it's just it is what it is. It's, it's just a bad rap song from a game in the nineties. Yeah. It it's certainly I will say it's it's this it's probably the the song of that rare era that has held up the worst uh-huh. because this is the the pomp of grant kirkhope who uh throughout the actual game because this is just the, this the dk rap is only over the 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 intro to the game before you get to the title screen so the actual music in the game is is great it's grant kirkhope you can't really go far wrong uh, there's a couple of remixes of the the donkey kong theme you might call it uh that are a bit mm, i'm not so sure about this um but all in all i think that the music and the levels is, is pretty banging um which i don't think will be hard even if you can't remember mark i don't think it'll be hard for you to believe when i when you know it's grand kirkhope he's uh he's rather famous for making uh video game soundtracks that are memorable and yeah. good and uh i wish that we had more of his work even though I mean, even like, and the thing is, as well with him, is you go back through uh, his entire career, and you still, even with um, Rabbit Kingdom, like that was still he's still making work at like such an incredible level. uh, Because I I don't know how much of uh, Rabbit Kingdom you played, but the the soundtrack is genuinely like incredible, and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he. He is really one of the unsung heroes in when you look at um, video game development, and certainly um, not in terms of when you think of Rare. You yeah. one he's one of the first people you think of, but when you think about kind of video games, like by and large, and you think about uh, developers, you always think of like the alter type developers with your fucking uh, Kojimas and whatnot. But Grant Kirkhope, just his consistency with the the level of his output over the years. Uh, one day, I think we should just do an episode and it'll just be about Grant Kirkhope and his music, you know? Write that down. Yeah, I will. I will do that. <laughs> That's absolutely something we should do. Um, but an- another thing in terms of the kind of historical significance of uh, DK64 is that it was the first game to require require the N64 expansion pack. This uh, little kind of cube that you... Uh, slotted into the front of your under the hood of your n64 um there was so much in this even in the year 
since Banjo-Kazooie came out. They had so much shit they wanted to put in this game that it literally could not work on N64 without the expansion pack. Uh, Mark, for the sake of pub quiz trivia, can you name the other two games that required the N64 expansion pack? Uh, Perfect Dark and Conquest Bad Fur Day? Uh, no. Ah, so Perfect Dark and... Will I give you a hint? Yeah. It's one of your favourite games of all time. Oh, Majora's Mask, of course it is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was um, required to... It's some of the textures and removing the fog that was all over Ocarina of Time. Yeah. Uh, according to this uh, an increased number of on-screen models as well as effects i'm on the wikipedia for expansion pack here uh perfect dark it was only required for the story mode weirdly enough what yeah, yeah. You're shame they couldn't use it for the fucking frame rate in that thing yeah and then there's a bunch of different games that came out uh that kind of it it increases resolution and, and things like that for it but it wasn't it was kind of kind of like using the, the backwards compatibility for the xbox one for some of your older games in yeah. some ways in some ways yeah um so yeah (laughs) and again that follows the theme of there is so fucking much in this game uh let me just go to my notes here um so one of the things i really like about it uh if you're coming off the donkey kong country games uh, a refreshing change of pace is that rather than kind of like a linear overworld kind of situation um you have this big huge hub world i think like mario 64 where all the different levels are some of them are accessible some of them are accessible later in the game but you have this hub world to explore uh and i enjoy that it's just a giant island shaped like donkey kong's head um there's something great about that i don't know why um i i like having that hub world to explore and the idea that different things you do throughout the levels would unlock different parts that were hitherto unseen or hidden behind rocks things like that i always enjoy that that element of of uh design in a, in a platformer um one thing i will say i don't know if this is something that sticks out in your head mark but as soon as i started re-watching footage of this game uh find me a musical sting that will make you laugh more than the moment you find one of the so the big thing uh the kind of the MacGuffin that replaces like the star in mario or the jiggy in banjo kazooie is the golden banana at the end of every level in donkey kong 64 please find me a funnier music sting than when you find the banana and the, the drum beat starts and a voice goes oh banana <laughs> because it's been 20 years mark i still laugh really you never will not stop being a child of heart will you yeah, and then when you grab the banana, the chance of Donkey Kong is great as well. Uh, as I said, the soundtrack is fantastic. One of the things that I think makes this uh, a dynamic and uh, ambitious uh, game in some respects is your five different main characters, I believe it is. Um, Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong, Dixie Kong, Lanky Kong, and... Oh, was it Chunky Kong? Isn't that his name? Uh, yeah, because Chunky Kong is the one that you get in, uh, he gives you, like, the easier levels and stuff in the Donkey Kong. That's, that's Funky. Oh, is it Funky? Yeah, that's Funky Kong. Oh. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Chunky Kong in this. Um, but, um, each one of the five, uh, plays differently. Um, sorry, yeah, Chunky Kong, Tiny Kong, Diddy Kong, Lanky Kong, and, um... Yeah, Ginger Kong, Spicy Kong, Sexy Kong. <laughs> yeah, Sporty Kong. Um, but each one of them um, 
through their, uh, both their kind of move list and abilities, their um, different things like the musical items, their the weapons they have in this, which is weird. Like they all have a gun, but it shoots like fruit and peanuts, so it's okay, I guess. Um, they all maneuver and handle slightly differently. Um, so one of the things we're going to get into is the ups and downs of the level design in this game. But I think uh, as an idea to start out with, having five different characters who... Uh, interact with the levels slightly differently um, that feel distinct from each other I, I think is a good idea to start with I, I don't think the execution uh, over the course of the whole game bears out <laughs> I, I think it's a bit kind of we'll, we'll get to that in a second um, one of the things we've talked about you and I on some of the other N64 games uh, we've talked about here is that it's amazing that so Super Mario 64 comes out and is the first game uh, that tries to handle the idea of uh, this kind of platformer in the 3D space and what the fuck do you do with the camera. And for the most part, Super Mario 64 does it remarkably well for the first game out of the gate trying that. And it is it has been a constant source of uh, head-scratching to you and I that there are games that came many years after that game on the N64... Uh, for whom Nintendo could have kind of maybe given a dig out and made the camera a little bit better, but this is one of those that the camera sometimes is your worst enemy in Donkey Kong 64. Uh, is, is that a memory you have? Because it's certainly when I went back into it, I was like, I did not remember the camera being this fucking hard to wrangle. In, in fairness, I kind of get the feeling with most uh, 90s platformers that I've played, uh, and part of that is down to um we live in a blessed world where we have dual sh- uh, dual stick controllers um and that always helps when it comes to camera control um and you know it depends on the game and how they approach using the camera and you think about the way that um say like a ocarina of time or majora's mask like the the z trigger to tar- or z targeting um you know, that eliminated any need to kind of worry about the camera because if you needed to, to focus on a specific enemy, enemy, you could use the Z target to just kind of lock onto them, um, which is a genius piece of design. Um, and it's incredible that, you know, if you look at N64 games throughout the years, the, the game that probably got the camera uh, for those kind of more free-roaming platforming games better than any other was the first one that came along in Mario 64. Um, and then every other platformer afterwards um, either got parts of it right or just got most of it horrifically wrong. Sorry, say that you cut out on my side. Oh. Say that last bit again. Okay, uh, basically I was saying that uh, uh, the game that you know got the camera the best when it came to the N64 was the one that came along first in yeah. Mario 64. And then, kind of every kind of free roaming platformer afterwards, uh, either got kind of elements of it right, or just completely mm. fucked it up altogether, and just was, yeah. was terrible. Absolutely. Uh, another thing that was going fucking <laughs> is just completely. So one of the things people don't like about the Banjo Kazooies of the world is that it it is as much a platformer as it is a collectathon. I I think of Banjo Kazooie more as a collectathon than I do a platformer. Uh. Yeah, there are certainly it, the uh, there is a lot of collection to it, but if you thought that there was a lot of collection to Banjo Kazooie, who boy, <laughs> Donkey Kong has got a word to have with you, my friend. Um, this game has 
frankly, and this is speaking as somebody who fucking loves Banjo Kazooie, uh, has an obscene amount of collectibles. <laughs> Just fucking obscene. I'm going to try and get up the list here. Um, and it, it one of the problems with the level design in this game is that it has not only a lot of collectibles, but it's so segmented in as much as there are different sets of collectibles for each of the five characters. And a lot of, with the exception of one of the levels, I think it's Creepy Castle, it involves a fucking lot of retracing the same steps. So there's a couple of levels where you start and you just walk down a corridor. And in that corridor, you'll have like three of Donkey Kong's bananas. Then there'll be another set of bananas for another one of the Kongs and then another one and then another one. So it's not even that in Creepy Castle, the one level where they did it right, they have it kind of the level built out so that, say, Donkey Kong's bananas and collectibles are all in the area where he is best accessing and going across the terrain. Same goes for Lanky Kong, etc. In most levels, it's just fucking scattershot. It's just, where is there empty space? Let's shove a bunch of collectibles in there. Uh, and that, to me, is... Mm, I'm, I'm not... I'm not on board with that. I'm still trying to get the list here because it is it is fucking absurd. Because not only is there, um, is this the list here? Yeah. So there's like, <laughs> just fuck. This is a huge list. So you've got the golden banana, which is the one I mentioned, which is uh, the kind of your equivalent of the jiggies or the the stars. You've also got uh, crystal coconuts, uh, which are a power source for the barrel move. You've got the boss key, the battle arena crown. You've got banana medals, banana bunch coins, which are color coded based on the Kongs. Same with banana balloons. You got banana camera film. You got the odd animal crate. There's a five banana coin. In addition to that, there's some retro coins, a Nintendo coin, and a rare coin. Uh, they're required to open an automatic door and hide out Helm that houses the final boss key. The Nintendo coin is earned for completing the Donkey Kong arcade game twice within the game, while the rareware coin is earned by scoring uh, by beating the the top score in Jetpack at Cranky's Lab. There is a fucking outrageous number. Uh, so each world in Donkey Kong. So you know the way. How many was it in? Is it five or six in Super Mario sixty four? I'm blanking. Uh, five, six, what? Uh, stars in each level. Uh, it's six. Six. Well, six and then seven with the hundred coin. Mm. And then uh, in Banjo-Kazooie, it takes to the next level where there's ten jiggies per level. In every level of Donkey Kong 64, there are 25 golden bananas. <laughs> um, I'm not going to say... I'm not Only say, five accessible by each Kong. I'm not going to say that this is padding. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty... It's pretty substantial. Yeah, you, you take a... There is just a huge amount of retracing your step in here. Like I said, if every level was like Creepy Castle, where the the kind of... The collectibles were laid out in a way that you were going to be in that space as that Kong anyway the whole time uh, and it makes sense that way, fine. 
But the fact that it, it is, as I said, that scatter shot, it's all just fucking thrown about the place. Wherever there was empty space, they threw a different collectible is really lazy, I, I think. Um, and it's just it, it makes things very headachy and it makes it very hard. You can get 101 percent completion on this game, uh, but it is fuck like the hour count you will pull trying to do that is is a lot even with a guide i think um in addition to that you've got it like a bunch of different so you've got your tag barrel to switch out with kongs uh in each level then there are a bunch of different so you remember in banjo kazooie there's mumbo jumbo's hut which is your kind of one-stop shop to go and and trade in your um it's trading your jinjos and oh, all your um your silver skulls that you collect uh to be able to turn into the animal for that level which is allows you to access a couple more jiggies uh in this there are a bunch of different kind of mumbo jumbo huts that deal with different fucking things so you have cranky kong's hut which is where you unlock abilities with one type of collectible uh then there's funky kong's shack where you unlock uh weapons and weapon upgrades um sneaky kong uh where you go with the blueprints which is another collectible in the game and he help or he gives you does he give you the blueprints or do you get the blueprints and bring them to him i can't remember which it is and he helps you kind of uh unfurl king k rules plans for his ultimate weapon uh then there's candy kong who um has a dual function in the game where you exchange collectibles for either stuff to do with your instruments in the game uh, or on occasion she can help you up your health meter, which is represented by watermelons. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where, I think even at the time, I don't think I ever got anywhere within a fucking arse's roar of 100% completion on this. Um, but it's the thing where now looking back at it, uh, I'm just they were trying so fucking hard. And in one respect, you're like, oh, well, look, they, they packed it with fucking content. And if you really liked it in terms of probably hours per pound spent on this game, you probably came out pretty well ahead. Uh, but fuck me, like it would have benefited a lot from cutting half this shit out, maybe even more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's amazing that we're talking because I, I think of um, this as more of a, a 2019 issue where... Uh, games get padded out just to kind of artificially uh, have this feeling that you know there's more content than there actually is Um, so it's interesting to hear you talking about this from a game in the the late 90s doing this kind of thing because you know I think of a game like um, we'll take Mario 64 for example that that game can probably you could probably finish off in um, I don't know a good kind of seven or eight hours and you've got everything you need out of it and I wouldn't need that game to be any more I wouldn't need each level to have 25 stars in it you know um, so it's it's interesting that they decided the approach to take was the approach they took to, to have all of these extra trinkets and collectibles um, and it's definitely that kind of thing where the grand, in, in the end of the grand scheme of things it kind of takes away from the experience more than it adds on because you just you mm. get into this art this grind of just trying to find these collectathons and the, these collectibles but there's no actual kind of fun in that and that's the thing with collectathon type games is that it's all well and fine like having a shit ton of stuff to find but if the actual art of finding it becomes redundant after a while uh, yeah. which is usually the case with the um it's kind of the the open world design in in modern open world games where cool there's fucking a hundred I don't know feathers that I need to find in Assassin's Creed or whatever it was but you know mm. after I found about ten if unless I'm doing it purely for the purpose of getting the achievement 
which or the trophy which I don't care yeah. about just there's no need for me to do this other than just to yeah. waste four or five hours of my time yeah like so with the amount of collectibles in this it's it's never going to be fun to get 100% completion but I think from some of these collectathon games and, and Banjo-Kazooie is definitely one of these where what you can ask for and it's not an unreasonable request is to, at least to make it fun to collect the amount required to move forward in the game so, like, if you're trying to get all 10 jiggies, all 100 notes all the time in Banjo-Kazooie, for some people who don't have the tolerance for those type of games, they're going to drop off before they get the 100 notes or all 10 jiggies. However, if you just want to get the bare minimum, it's still fun because you're not investing nearly as much time and you're not going around, like, looking in every single corner and doing every single thing. And you can just move on and you're on the next map then. Um I can't even say that for Donkey Kong because there are some levels where the the kind of the gap to move on to the next phase of the game, the amount of things you need to get between it, between where you are and where you want to be can sometimes be a little draining and not in a sort of, wow, this is a difficult uh, thing to do, uh, in more of a, oh, fuck, I still have so <laughs> much to find. Sure. Um, and it's a shame because some of the boss battles in this game are really fun, but uh, it falls into the trope of a lot of games around this time where they eventually get a bit repetitive, where you end up meeting kind of the same bosses later on, but they're kind of upgraded with some new shit. Um, And that's a shame. And then another trope it falls into, which is I think it's like, it's just a curse that the Donkey Kong series has in that the mini games that you do, uh, while fun at the start just become variations on a theme after a while um, and just become repetitive and even with those you're going through the motions um, by the end it it's a game where I, I think ultimately where I fall on it now in 2019 is that I love the time I spent with it it, it has a soft spot for me but now that I'm an adult and, and now that I, I understand more about games and maybe have less patience for the amount of shit you have to collect in this game i absolutely understand anyone who throws criticism at this game because it's all fair it's 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 an absolute mess of a game in a lot of ways but it it, i don't know whether it's just rare being on such a hot streak that it's still has this charm to it that I, I can't ignore either. I definitely, it's kind of the thing that you probably, you would come back to to play for a couple of hours to, to remind yourself, but it's not a thing that you're going to you know sit down with past that. You know, Once you've got that a nostalgia kick out of the way, you, you're good. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. Uh, and so that probably brings us to the elevator pitch then. And the elevator pitch is simply this, that it is... Um, if you like rare games, you will probably enjoy this for the most part. Don't drive yourself mad and go for 101% completion. But uh, there's enough charm to this game that at least playing it for a little while, you're definitely going to enjoy it. And um, it is definitely an interesting look at uh, both the the highs and lows of Rare's level and world design uh, during this period of time. Uh, so do check it out if you are so inclined. It's available if you're somebody that still has a Wii U plugged in. Uh, you can buy it on the Wii U. Um, but, you know, I don't know if anybody still has a Wii U plugged in, to be honest. <laughs> I certainly fucking don't. I gave mine away. Yeah, I, I sold mine. I think 
Did I you sell... sold yours quite some time ago. Yeah, did I have it when I when I came to live with you? Yeah, you sold yeah, it when you moved, like right after you moved here. Sure, sure, yeah, cause, yeah. yeah, I realized you realized you weren't playing it anymore. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think you played you played the, the aforementioned you played Mario Maker on it for a little while on a couple of other games when you moved here that I had, and then it was gone. And um, yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, so that's our game of the week for this week, uh, Donkey Kong sixty four. Last bit of business for the podcast, Mark. Please do tell us what is coming up uh, next week. So I this may be the first tower defense game that we have discussed in our book club series. Uh, and is it? it maybe, I'm not sure. We'd have to go and have a look. Um, I'm not sure if it's the most um, notable one or the most mm-hmm. infamous one, but it's one that I, I think in the grand scheme of things was, was my kind of real introduction to, to tower defense games um, as a whole. Um, and it was done in a, in, a, in a casual sort of way, but with enough um, tactics and, and charm in its presentation to it. Uh, I want to go back to 2010, uh, and I would like to talk about a game called Plants vs. Zombies. Oh, okay. Cool, yeah, this is an interesting one. Because that, that game fucking took over the world for a hot second. It did, it did, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then it became something completely else. Yeah. Yeah. That Just to put people who don't remember, put it in perspective, there was one year where uh, Plants vs. Zombies was being bundled with FIFA to entice you to buy FIFA. That's how... That's how much Plants vs. Zombies was doing well. Well, and, you know, that's also just, again, we've, we've discussed EA and bitched about EA quite a, a, an amount on this on this episode. This seems like it's going to be a fucking banner year for them already. Well, so, yeah. If you, uh, <laughs> you don't like us talking smack about EA, this may not be the podcast for you. Um, oh. But yeah, cool. So Plants vs. Zombies next week on the program. Um that's going to bring an end to episode 133 of link to the cast uh link to the cast.wordpress.com is the website uh facebook.com forward slash link to the cast at link to the cast on twitter are the the socials to, to keep up with our content as we post it and interact with us on there and we will interact right back at you um i'm at the day to dave on twitter mark is at lithium project uh, under the the nominal link to the cast network umbrella, uh, we have a couple of other podcasts that might be up your street. I uh, mentioned it at the top of the show, but the Grap Up is what was our once in a while, but is now pretty much once a month. Um, I'm, mate, at this rate, we get into about once a fucking week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pro wrestling podcast. We've already done one on the Royal Rumble. We've already done one on Wrestle Kingdom, and as we talked about at the top of the show, we just did one on um, OTT Unfinished Business Live in Belfast, which is up in this same podcast feed. So check that out. Popcorn Social, which is uh, once a month, literally uh, as you were doing uh, your Plants vs Zombies plug, a chat popped up on my phone where myself, Jack, and our special guest for the month to be revealed later. Um, are chatting about what we're going to do for the first annual Soshis, the Popcorn Social uh, Awards. It is award season for the films, so we're going to throw out our own on the next episode, so look forward to that one coming wanna, in the next few weeks. I want to say I feel offended that I wasn't asked to become to be a part of that show, uh, but considering... I, don't worry, I, I have you planned for a special edition of the show in the future, don't worry. I just haven't told you about it yet, I'll tell you about it off air. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Yeah. No, but I, I, I'm more than self-aware. Oh, it's all, it's all part of the grand strategy, my I, friend. I was going to say, I was more than self-aware that me coming on to talk about all the films I saw in 2018 would probably be a lost fucking cause. Yeah, yeah. 
I know I've got the exact special edition for you. Don't you worry. All right. Uh, okay. I'll tell you about it off the air. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I want to bury the lead a little bit on this one. Uh, and our final one, which is not available in this podcast uh, feed, it's on a separate podcast feed because it is more frequent than any of the others. So we don't want to be bothering with it. When you put it behind you the paywall, Dave. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's when we start our Patreon. Um, is Days of Thunder the WCW rewatch podcast that nobody asked for? Uh, myself and good friend of mine, Lee Malone, uh, every two weeks talking about WCW Thunder, the the B show from World Championship Wrestling. The second episode dropped last week, and I think it's really fun. Uh, next week will be episode three. We do it every two weeks, as I say. Uh, I think episode three, you can look forward to that. It's it's probably our best one yet. We're really starting to get into the swing, iron out the kinks of that show's format. Uh, look and then forward we'll coming... is still a strong term to use. I hey look you can look forward to if you're just listening to us go through the torture of it it, and and at least you've got your buddies to bring you through if you're going to watch along with us at least you know you're not suffering in silence i'm just so glad that thunder didn't come along until after i'd already moved out of your house because that might have been the thing that would have tipped me over the edge yeah well it was us that came up with the pun that necessitated me having to make this show at some point so yeah you really got out of the line of fire there at the right time (laughs) Uh, but that's Days of Thunder every two weeks. Um, we usually, the, the link to Cast website and Twitter account will tweet out when that show is live, but you can follow it at WCW Thunderpod, and it is available on all the other podcast platforms that Link to the Cast is also available on. Um, yeah, so that's the plugs done uh, for episode 133 of Link to the Cast. I've been Dave Ryan, man on the line here, Mark Robinson. We shall see you all next week. <laughs>